Hello and welcome to the Period Chats podcast. On this podcast, we look at how society has impacted women's health over the years. My name is Kate Morton and I'll be your host along with many amazing guests who will join us. I'm a registered dietitian and passionate about bringing women's health to light and making it a table conversation. This episode and future episodes are brought to you by Funkit Wellness, an all-natural cycle support company that works to support women through their entire cycles, not just their periods. You can try their amazing seed cycling kits on their website at www.funkitwellness.com or you can join their community on their Instagram at funk.it.wellness. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Period Chats podcast. I am sorry I'm a little sobbed up this week. I'm in Denver and everyone who knows me knows the altitude really doesn't agree with me, unfortunately, but I am so excited to have Vienna here with us. She is from the Cunt Sultan. And yes, you heard that correctly. She focuses in holistic reproductive health. And this is a much requested topic. Today, we're going to be talking about tracking your cycle and the fertility awareness method. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself and tell us all about you. Well, thanks so much for having me, Kate. I'm really happy to be here and talk about all these topics. Um, yes, so my name is Vienna. My practice is called the Cunt Sultant. So C-U-N-T, Sultant. Um, I'm a vagina consultant. That's where I've started. So all things that have to do with the vagina, that have to do with the womb, that have to do with people who have those parts, you know, the ovaries, the uterus, the vagina, the vulva, et cetera. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm also a holistic reproductive health practitioner and a justice method um, fertility awareness educator. So those are the lenses I'm looking at. We really care about the menstrual cycle over here if you have one and paying attention to its health. And also, you know, just like everything else that goes along with that. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that. I've been personally trying out Funkit, the seed cycling a little bit. It's delicious. So that's a really great extra tool that we can talk about in relation to menstrual cycle uh, charting. Yes. Okay. That makes me so happy. Everyone knows how much I love seed cycling. I talk about it all the time. Um, and something along with seed cycling, we get so many questions about, and you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I may be an expert in a lot of things. Tracking your cycle is not one of them. It's something that I do myself and I can tell you about, but I'm really excited to dive into like the nitty gritty of it. So, cause I told you, like I bought my aura ring, I've been tracking my temperature. Mm -hmm. So first let's just start with what is cycle tracking? Why would we do it? And why is it so hard sometimes? <laughs> yeah, these are all good questions. So there's lots of different ways to track your menstrual cycle. Um, there are really simple things such as like period tracking, right? Like this is the day I got my period. And then you go from there and you just like keep track of the number of days between periods. Then there's all kinds of methods you can use. So fertility awareness-based methods is kind of the umbrella term for a variety of methods. So everything, so everything from like symptothermal, which is what I teach. So we're looking at mucus and body temperature to symptohormonal, which is looking at mucus, potentially also body temperature and hormonal testing. There's a wide variety. Um, it's also under the umbrella of natural birth control, which is I think a very funny term, but natural just means like you're not using hormones essentially. I think that's how most people use it. And that can also include things like the rhythm method. So, or calendar methods. So calendar and rhythm methods are natural birth control, but they're not fertility awareness-based methods. So those are separate categories. Rhythm is, you know, the joke, like, what do you call someone who uses the rhythm method? Mom. So like, those are the jokes there. And the rhythm method and calendar methods do have a lot of failure rates because they're based solely on calculations. If you're using an app, right? If you're using um, like a period tracking app, it's probably using a rhythm method calculation to tell you when you're ovulating. So if you're just putting in the date of your period and it's telling you you're ovulating on this day, that might line up with your cycle, but most of the time that's completely wrong because it's just using a calculation but in there yeah. so I started after I got inspired after we talked for the first time and I've really been working on the things to talk to me about I ovulate four days after my predicted ovulation in the app 
So I'm glad that wasn't the only form of birth control I was using at the time because I can see where it's a little, not, I get it, but it's a little faulty, you know? Yeah. And it, it really, it depends on, um, all those methods are based on like previous cycle data, right? So the app is like using a prediction based on when you had your period to estimate when you should be ovulating. Um, and ovulation typically occurs somewhere in the midpoint of our cycles. But that doesn't mean day 14 for everyone because not everyone has a 28 day cycle. And if you have a longer cycle, you're gonna probably be ovulating past day 14. If you have a shorter cycle, you're gonna be ovulating prior to day 14 in most cases. Also, you could be ovulating on day 14. It really, like I tend to ovulate right around that point, but it changes from cycle to cycle and that's a, a normal thing. Um, so that's the rhythm method, that's the period trackers. Fertility awareness-based methods are looking at your body's biomarkers of fertility to inform when you are fertile and when you are not. So basics of the menstrual cycle, we are fertile a teeny tiny period of the entire month or in the entire cycle, if it's not a full month. Um, and then at the vast majority of that, we're actually infertile. So from menstruation to ovulation to the onset of what we of cervical mucus. So mucus that's coming from the cervix in anticipation of ovulation, that's infertile. And then after you've ovulated and confirmed ovulation and the mucus has disappeared, you're infertile again. So different methods will kind of calculate that fertile window a little bit differently. Um, again, I'm trained specifically in the justice method. So it's the one I can speak to the most, but all methods are looking at what are the biomarkers of ovulation? How do we understand when they're happening? And then how, what decisions do we make around fertilizing sex at that time? So if you're trying to get pregnant, right? That ovulation window, you'd be like, this is when we're introducing sperm. If you're not trying to get pregnant, that's when you're avoiding sperm, right? If you're having that kind of sex. So everyone calculates it differently, but again, there's a, there's a window of time, which physiologically is a few days in which you can get pregnant. With justice, we basically say, as soon as you start to see cervical mucus, which can look like creamy hand lotion, which can look like, um, you know, something kind of like pasty, even like that little mucus that you're like, well, was this quite cervical mucus or not? that onset of mucus all the way to stuff that looks like raw egg whites that's okay. all your fertile window so when you're seeing mucus consider yourself fertile at a certain point once you ovulate so to back up from the hormones um cervical mucus is produced in the cervix particularly which is the part of the uterus that you can feel in the vagina it's produced there to keep sperm alive so it's produced under the influence of estrogen Estrogen is produced as the egg starts to develop in the ovary and as it gets closer and closer to actually being ready to be ovulated, to be fully mature in that sense, then you produce more and more estrogen. So that's why you start to see cervical mucus because the egg is getting ready to be ovulated and you know because of the rising estrogen levels and that causes cervical mucus. It's again, its sole purpose is to keep sperm alive. So after you ovulate, the cervical mucus will dry up because we start to produce the hormone progesterone in larger quantities that dries up cervical mucus, prevents further ovulation. And then the rest of that cycle is again, infertile. So that's a kind of the basics there. Cervical mucus, there's a bunch of different ways you can observe it. Some people check at the cervix or internally inside the vagina. Our method just checks externally by when you like go to the bathroom, like wiping with toilet paper across the vaginal opening and the perineum that space between the vaginal opening and anus and understanding what does that feel like? What does it look like? Recording that information and using it to base your sexual decisions on. So those are like the basics there. Other methods, again, will kind of assess it slightly differently, um, but we use that. We use a, a couple of rules as well, but those are the basics. So once you understand when you're fertile, you, can, you have greater control over how you manage your fertility, right? So how you manage the fact that your body is designed to get pregnant um, and you know, be like, okay, we're not doing that now. So here's what we're gonna do instead. That is so interesting. So it's crazy, you know, like you feel like you know so much, but then I was like, and I have been so excited to learn more today. I knew most of that, but I didn't realize the reason we have cervical mucus is to keep the sperm alive. Like, yeah, I didn't know that. That's so cool. It is really cool. So actually your vagina most of the time is acidic. 
so it has like an acidic pH and there's all these conversations around pH, your vaginal pH, it should be acidic vast majority of the time. The pH will change though naturally and normally around ovulation and menstruation. So at menstruation, it'll get a little bit more alkaline because of the blood, a little bit more neutral. And then at ovulation, around ovulation, you're gonna get really alkaline because sperm is alkaline, semen is alkaline, and you want to keep that sperm nice and happy. So it's, it's really cervical mucus is just like the welcome wagon for sperm. So if we didn't have cervical mucus, and when we don't have cervical mucus at other points of our cycle, the sperm die pretty quickly. They have nothing to keep them alive. The acid in the vagina destroys them. And our acidic, or not acid in the vagina, but the acidic environment, we don't like make acid, um, but that, that helps protect our vaginal health, right? It keeps the microbiome happy. It keeps pathogens out. It's like, it's for our own protection. And then for a tiny window, we're like, we will allow you to come in sperm and we will make you a nice little bed to lie in. And the cervical mucus is actually super important for pregnancy for all kinds of reasons. So not just like keeping the sperm alive, but actually getting them to where they need to go. So this story about sperm being like champion swimmers and they're like real tough. They're very, very not tough. <laughs> they're very delicate and they need, that's why you need millions of them right? And every ejaculation has like millions of sperm in it. And those sperm, like some of them get lost, some of them fall out of the vagina, some of them are malformed, but the cervical mucus helps guide them to, through the cervix where they spend some time actually in our little cervical crypts, which are these little, um, like little pockets in the cervix. And then they make their way up to, you know, a fallopian tube, a uterine tube to eventually maybe meet an egg. Cervical mucus plays a critical role in that and getting them both like keeping them alive and getting them to where they need to go. That is so cool. So what I'm hearing yeah. is this story about strong swimmers and all of this stuff sounds a little bit like something that was crafted and isn't scientifically accurate, maybe by the patriarchy, maybe not. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I was reading, it was a piece of poetry, I think Fertility Awareness on Instagram posted this and it was just, talking about semen and sperm and it's really more like flower pollination than it is like an act of like planting a seed so I, I would recommend I can repost I can share it with you it was really good it, but like it's not you're not planting a seed exactly with um with semen right with sperm it is more of a pollination effect so you need the sperm you need the egg we need both parts to come together to make a baby um but or to cause a pregnancy but the female physiology is doing a lot of that work like this it, it does take two to tango but you know and you have to have healthy sperm when we're talking about pregnancy but you know the vast majority of that work is happening inside the reproductive tract in the female partner awesome okay great information yeah. and then so i have another question and i'm sure people listening will think this so you know i do you see that window where you definitely have cervical mucus and you can identify it much more easily but is there a difference between discharge and cervical mucus? Yeah, yes. So your vagina produces several different things and I'll talk about that. And then I want to add in the, the thermal part. So the sympto part of the symptothermal method or the justice method, which is a symptothermal method is the mucus. That's the, the main symptom that we're looking at. And then the thermal part is basal body temperature. And we can talk about that next, but yeah, your vagina produces several discharges. So this idea, um, there's like this, if you, if you think about how we talk about body part names, right, we call it like the vaginal entrance mm -hmm. or like the technical term is vaginal introitus, which means like the entrance to the vagina, which is, which is like an, a, an outward coming in perspective, right? Like the vagina is an entrance. It's made for things to go into it, which yes, that's also true, but it is probably primarily an exit most of the time. So you know, you're having discharges, you're having things like menstrual blood, cervical mucus, vaginal discharge, and then potentially like a baby. So there's a lot of things. And even if you're not pregnant, right, there's things that come out of it quite frequently, potentially more often than things are going into it. So another thing to consider, but yes, yeah, so you might produce um, different kinds of discharge. So sir, um, it's called vaginal cell sloth, which yeah. is so sexy to say, and so, sexy. so easy to say. Yeah. Um, but that's just like the turnover of cells of, you know, the byproducts of your healthy um, vaginal biome. That's kind of that like white pasty stuff you might okay. see. So you might see it in your underwear. Um, it 
depending on when you're seeing it in your cycle, it's also an early indicator of cervical mucus because as you start to produce cervical mucus, it'll start to flush some of that out a little bit more. Um, but that it's also its own thing. So okay. yeah, you get that. And it's just a natural byproduct of how your vagina works, how it works, how it's good. Um, you can have like discharges that are problematic. And that would be things like, you know, like a gray, thin, watery discharge with like DV, bacteria vaginosis, or like that classic chunky cottage cheese, if you yeast get infection. yeast infection. But those are like signs of something being off. Whereas like, if you're just getting some discharge throughout your cycle, it's really normal and healthy. The way you can tell is like, you don't feel itchy, you don't feel burning. Um, it doesn't, you know, have a, a bad smell to it. Like this idea of like rotten fish is applicable for things that you're like, I should go see a doctor, but otherwise like, yeah, if you're seeing, um, if you're feeling wetness, right. So like arousal fluid might be part of that. The vulva sweats a great deal. So sweat is like a normal thing to see there. Um, it's compensating for our armpits. Our armpits like aren't like comparison of like, you know, male physiology to female physiology female armpits don't sweat as much as male armpits and our vulva like picks up the slack. So that's a normal thing. Um, so yes, yeah, so you can have those like vaginal discharges. You might have, if you have like, again, something going on with like your cervix in a, like a dysplasia ish way, you might see some other discharge, but typically I think when people are discussing discharge, they're talking about cervical mucus and they're just not sure what it is. And again, it is normal for things to come out of your vagina throughout your cycle. They might not be or originating like in the vagina specifically, right? Cervical mucus comes from the cervix. It just goes through the vagina. Um, but those would all be normal and healthy things to see. Okay, cool. Cause I was just going to ask, cause you know, like there is that difference. Okay. Is this discharge? Is it cervical mucus? Like, okay. Cause I think that's something yeah. people wonder, like, am I having it all month or is this different? Yeah. And so the, I would encourage if you are feeling like you're seeing discharge a lot to pay more attention to it. So I definitely have clients come to me and they're like, oh my God, I just always, there's always discharge. There's just always something. And then you start asking them to pay more attention. You're like, well, maybe it's not all the time. Maybe I was seeing like something, maybe it wasn't exactly what I thought it was. And that's pretty normal when you don't know what you're looking at, right? You assume things that may or may not be correct. And as we all know, right, like a good example, if you've ever like kept a food diary for whatever reason, just like, you know, you're tracking things about your health, you might be eating things that you don't realize you're eating, right? Or you're not, you're eating more than you thought you were, or you're eating less than you thought you were. And so when you bring attention to it, it's a different picture than you thought it might be. And that's, and I, I find that to be often the time with um, people who are learning fertility awareness for tracking their menstrual cycles, that what we think is happening could be totally happening, but until we, we take the time to pay closer attention to it, it might actually be an entirely different story. Awesome. Okay. So everyone pay attention, <laughs> look at your cervical mucus, see if you can find the difference between discharge and cervical mucus, but okay. Next step, the temperature piece, which I actually think this is the piece I get the most questions about and that I had the most questions about. So I'm really excited to hear you explain this part of it. Sure. So Again, every method is different uh, or a little bit different, but we're all looking for the same thing. And the reason we're looking for basal body temperature is because we want to see a shift at ovulation. So again, going back to the hormones prior to ovulation, you're really estrogen heavy or estrogen dominant is the right word, but you're naturally producing a lot of estrogen. That's yes. good and normal. After ovulation, you produce a lot of progesterone, which is a whole, we can go into that in depth if you want to, but that's basics, right? When you start producing progesterone, your basal body temperature, your metabolic rate goes up. So your metabolic rate goes up, which makes your basal body temperature go up. It's not a huge shift. Usually it can be just like a few points of a degree or it can be a full degree, but it's not like a huge shift, but it is noticeable if you're paying attention. So progesterone is like an expensive hormone to make it like, again, it takes more energy. So that's why you're actually burning more calories. And so you're like a little bit warmer. Um, maybe you can feel it. Maybe you can't, but like a shift happens that indicates the ovulation has occurred because that shift, that progesterone rising means ovulation. That egg has left the ovary. It is now hanging out ready, waiting for sperm. The egg has like a 24 hour max lifespan. So how we like account for that in the method 
is like a detail we could go into, but that's what we're looking for. We wanna make sure your temperature is shifting. The important thing to know is that that temperature shift happens after ovulation. So temperature is really only useful to tell you that ovulation has occurred. It doesn't tell you when it's coming. It doesn't tell you when it's gonna happen. It doesn't give you any information besides like, hey, you ovulated, which is an excellent piece of information to have, but from both a contraception and particularly a conception standpoint, if you've like, you know, like in movies where they're like, my temperature rose, we have to have sex right now, right? That's, maybe it'll work, but I would be surprised if you are getting pregnant that way quickly because you don't know that temperature rise could be happening and the egg is already dead. It's really, or not viable anymore. So that's all it does. It says, hey, ovulation occurred. When we're using it for avoiding pregnancy, you cross-check it with the mucus and you say, okay, my mucus is drying up. My temperature has risen. In a few days, I can count myself as infertile because these two things correlate to each other. So that's it. So there's lot, like the, the thing about the basal body temperature that I think people have questions about is it can fluctuate quite a bit. Um, different things in your life can impact it. So it can be I, I think people get a little too like um, concerned about the details of it. And it's, it actually doesn't have to be as stressful as I think a lot of people view it, um, but it is, it is sensitive. So if you like didn't sleep well, if you went to bed late, if you got up really early, if you were drunk or high or ill or traveling um, or just like you know, didn't sleep well, if you have a small baby that you have to breastfeed, all those things can throw off your temperature. So it is, it is sensitive but it's not about one single temperature. It's about the overall temperatures through that entire cycle. So as long as you're getting the majority of the temperatures in that are normal, you should be able to see that shift. And that's the main thing we wanna see. It's just like confirming that ovulation occurred. Uh, and then would it shift ahead. back when menstruation happens or when yeah. does it shift back to normal? Yeah, so what should happen is prior to ovulation, temperature is lower, ovulation occurs, temperature goes up and it stays up for the rest of your cycle right at like either the day before you get your period, the day you get your period, sometime around there, your temperature will drop back to like lower levels. And then, then you know, you know, you're getting your period. During menstruation, it might fluctuate a bit. And then for the rest of the cycle, it should be kind of lower and then go up again. And that's the repeat pattern. Some people see um, like an, a triphasic shift. So it'll shift the ovulation that shifts again. For some people that's normal. For some people that's an early sign of pregnancy. Okay. So, and again, you want to see that temperature remain high for health reasons. What's important is that it's showing you have adequate levels of progesterone. So cool. if you have a basal body temperature where you're taking normal temperatures and they're all over the place, like it's like really jagged, that might be a sign that there's something up with your progesterone levels. Um, and then if you got pregnant, your temperature would just stay a little bit higher for the duration of that pregnancy. Okay, cool. That explains it a lot yeah. easier because I think there is a lot of confusion and like stress around. And that's why like I ended up doing the aura ring, which it's a little pricey, but for me, like I wasn't good at remembering to take it before I got out of bed. And this takes a snapshot right when you start to like stir mm. to wake up, but it was cool to see the shift. I had never tracked it consistently yeah. and it was crazy. It, like did a little dip and then it went up, 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 up. And my period came and it went down and like, yeah, it's, just, it's cool to see, but I have, I knew that it wasn't in a minute already happened. Yeah. And so the, the other thing to say with that is like, how do you take it? Right. So you do have to take it first thing in the morning. There's, there's another way, like you could take it like several times throughout the day that that's not something I'm fully trained in, but there is another option. Um, but generally you take it first thing in the morning before you get out of bed. Um, you need at least five hours of like solid consecutive sleep to take an accurate BBT. Um, but you don't want to take it less than five hours. You don't want to take it more than 10 hours. And you want to take it around your normal wake time. But you have like a two hour window. So if you usually wake up at like 7 a.m., you could take your temperature accurately at 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. That would be fine. Um, if you have to get up to pee, you can get up and pee and then get back in bed and take your temperature. It's going to be okay. All right. It's going to be okay. Um, you just don't want to do anything like really active, right? You don't want to like stimulate your body too much. So if you get up to like walk the dog or, you know, run around the house or have sex, those are going to throw off your temperature, but just like, you know, get, get up, pee, get back in bed, take your temperature. It's going to be okay. Um, so that, that's, I think an important piece. 
if you have shift work, right? Like people who have shift work, like they work nights or they're like when they go to bed kind of varies throughout the week. Again, just like keep that five hour rule in mind. Um, if you're breastfeeding, it's kind of a similar thing, but there's definitely times where it, if you don't have like a, consi a consistent wake time or bedtime, that can be really problematic for getting an accurate temperature. So there's things like, I think the aura ring or temp drop, which is another wearable thermometer that you wear at night. Um, those are really useful for, again, showing you that you ovulated. They're not as useful potentially for like giving you health information about your temperature. Um, I don't know enough about the aura ring, but I would assume based on what you said, like it's probably, it's giving you like a good enough information to say that ovulation occurred. But we also in the justice method as a holistic reproductive health practitioner, we're looking at your temperature for other information. Like, is there something up with your thyroid or something up with your iron levels or your magnesium levels? Like there's lots of reasons that your temperature can be suppressed or erratic. And that's something we'd want to look into. But basically that's it. Get a basal body thermometer. You can take your temperature in your mouth, in your armpit, in your vagina, in your anus. If you want to do that first in the morning, have fun. Um, Love it. And just keep it in place. The, the digitals measure really quickly. We, I always recommend keeping it in place for a few minutes, at least before you take the temperature. So it comes up to your body temperature. Um, the most accurate, accurate way is to keep it in place for 10 whole minutes and then press the button and then let it measure. Um, not everyone wants to do that. And then like the most accurate DBT is going to be a glass thermometer. And those are super hard to find right now. Um, but if you can, and you want to be like extra nerdy about it, I encourage you to get a glass BBT thermometer, non-mercury and see what that's like. So those are all the different ways you can take it. It, it is, it freaks people out a lot. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, everyone can relax a little bit more about it. But especially if you're using mucus, right? So again, in Justice, we're using those two things. So cross-referencing it, you're not relying on BBT alone. You're looking at other factors that are happening. And then additionally, as a third marker, that's something we look at is the cervical changes. So your cervix actually changes position throughout your menstrual cycle. So that's something, again, cervix is the part of the uterus you can touch. So it's in the vagina. If you reach your finger into your vagina, you should feel something that feels like more the tip of your nose. Everything else feels like the inside of your cheek. And then you're like, that's the cervix. That will change position. For some people, it's really obvious. For some people, it's not as obvious. But if you check in with your cervix every day, um, you might need just like higher and harder to reach. Sometimes it's lower and easier to reach. Um, it might feel tilted towards the opening of the vagina or tilted towards the back. Um, it'll feel softer, higher, and more open during ovulation, during the fertile window and then firmer, low and closed when you're infertile. So it's another thing to like experiment with, just another way to like get to know your body better. I highly encourage that because that's something like I just found out about like a year and a half ago. I like kind of knew something was there, but like, I didn't like really know. And then I started using a menstrual cup, which it's important to kind of check where your cervix is so you can put your cup in correctly. And I was learning about, it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's literally just like, it's just like right there. Like you can like, just feel it. Like, yeah. so wash your hands and get familiar with your body because it's, it is a really good indication and it definitely changes. It took me a while. It took me like three months to kind of get to know where my cervix was. But once I noticed the change, I'm like, oh, wow, it is. It feels completely different at the two different times or multiple different times. Yeah. And you might notice it like during sex, right? Like you might notice like certain times of your cycle, you're like, oh, we can do these positions. And then other times you're like, oh, that does not feel good. Nope. <laughs> um, so that, that can be due to just like the cervix moving around a bit, which it naturally should do. And uh, that also is normal. Um, with the caveat, like if you're experiencing like pain during sex, like please, please seek help. Um, you shouldn't be having pain. But if, if you're noticed like, yeah, like doggy style is just not something I can do right now or what have you, then that's, that is an indication of your cervix moving around. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So we've got all this information now and it's so helpful, I think, to learn all of it because getting off birth control for a lot of people, a lot of people I talk to who are tracking their cycle, they're off birth control. They want to do like a more natural method, but they either are definitely not trying to conceive or definitely trying to conceive. There's some in between, but those are like the two groups I yeah. usually think of. So let's start with trying not to conceive. What's like a snapshot of what you should, 
like just a short, like, okay, look at this, this, and this, this is a time you need to be really safe or not at all. And then we'll do the same thing for when you're trying to conceive. So yeah, if you're trying to use a natural or a natural birth control or a fertility awareness method, I do recommend working with a trained instructor. I am biased because I am a trained instructor, but you know, it, it does, it gives you the highest rates of efficacy. You have someone, especially when you're trying to avoid pregnancy, you've spent your whole life up until that point being told that you can, in most cases, right? Maybe not everyone, but generally the story is you can get pregnant at any time. Pregnancy can just happen to you. It's on a whim. You don't know. You'll have sex, die, and get pregnant, or get pregnant and die. Mean right? girls. Yeah. Mean girls, right? Said that wrong, but you know what I mean. So you have grown up in a culture that has told you that your body is unpredictable, that pregnancy, depending on who you are and how old you are and your associate, your, your class, your race, all these different factors, right? That you getting pregnant is one of the worst things that could happen to you. That is an active story we have, especially with younger people. That it's not true. And your own beliefs and feelings around pregnancy, yes, it could be like, a, a, it is a life-altering event. And in some cases, it could be like a very devastating life-altering event. But I digress. Nonetheless, you've been told that pregnancy can happen to you. There's no way for you to know. There's no way for you to have an active role in understanding when you can and cannot get pregnant beyond like not having sex or using some kind of like heavy duty uh, method, like an IUD, a hormonal method, right? So because that's such an actively ingrained in you, I find that most people, myself included, are so scared coming off of not our hormonal birth control that it's really useful to have someone there to handhold you, to talk through those fears with you, to show you how to chart, to tell you if you're doing it correctly or incorrectly. So that's, it's, it's really invaluable. So especially in those cases, I would say work with someone. There's, again, there's lots of different methods. There's lots of different instructors. Um, if you're looking for a resource, you can look on the Justice website. They have all the Justice instructors, um, the Association of Fertility Awareness Practitioners uh, or professionals has also a listing of people who teach different kinds of methods and then read your body which is an app that just came out um, last year, I believe. It's based, it's an app that's all based around using fertility awareness, but in an app. So it's not predictions. It requires you to like put your information in there, right? Whatever method you're using. And they actually have a directory of practitioners as well. So I would check out those places. Some people are, some people offer like low costs, you know, everything costs different. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't just assume like, oh, it's too expensive. There's a lot of different ways that people can work with you. Um, I offer people some like payment plans and sliding scale options, but I would really encourage you to work with someone. So that would be the first step. But then again, you're just gonna, whatever method you're using, you're tracking when you got your period, you're tracking when you see cervical mucus, tracking your basal body temperature, and then using all that information. So I would say definitely use both mucus and a temperature at least. Um, and proceed with caution until you like are familiar with your body. So most methods, not all, but my method does include the use of barriers. So I really encourage people to use condoms, diaphragm, cervical caps, withdrawal. Like those are all good options as you're learning this method. Just try and keep that sperm away from that cervical mucus. Coming off hormonal birth control, you might also just have a weird cycle. It's totally normal to be abnormal at that point. It should change over time. Um, and with some like bodily support, but you might have a confusing cycle as well. Like maybe you're not ovulating right away, or maybe you're seeing like mucus all the time. Um, those are kind of common things that people will experience. And it's good to like, again, have someone walk you through that process, especially so it doesn't get frustrating, right? If you're not ovulating and you're not seeing any mucus, they're like, what is, what is the point of this? What is, what is this? happening? I'm so confused. Yeah. So coming off really recommend work with someone. Um, but find a method that works for you. Again, there's all kinds. There's ones that are doing what I described, like checking mucus in that way. There's ones that rely more heavily on the basal body temperature. Um, there's ones that rely on a combination of mucus, hormonal testing, and BBT. Um, so yeah, those, there's all kinds of different methods for all kinds of different people. I would say Justice is definitely great for people who want to both you know, avoid or achieve pregnancy and also like really understand their body in a different way like really develop some deep body literacy. I love that. And I think that's the cool part about tracking your cycle is 
you learn so much about yourself and your body and it's very empowering and it addresses exactly what you said. You know, we talk about stigma so often. It's like, we were just taught, like your body is unpredictable. You can't control it. You're going to make a mistake. It's in air quotes. If you can see our video, like there's all Mm -hmm. these things. And when you actually learn about your body and you're like, Oh, I'm in control of this. I know what's going on. It's very empowering. And I think it's a cool way to take back your body. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like the other part of it, if you're having, because, you know, if you're using for birth control, right, you're probably having sex with someone with semen and getting them on board with it, right? Like having a conversation, your partner should always respect your birth control choices and methods. And if they don't, that's definitely a red flag. But it's also normal for, you know, like if you're in a heterosexual dynamic, um, your, you know, your boyfriend to be like, oh my God, what are you doing? Because he knows you might not know a lot about your body yet. He knows nothing. So if you initially like have some pushback from your partner, I wouldn't take it as like the end all, right? Like it it can be a learning process for both of you. And a lot of practitioners, myself included, encourage partners to come to classes and so or sessions. So once they also understand, then it's, it can be a different kind of conversation, but it does become like you are, you're more actively collaborating then on your birth control. So some people like there's lots of stories around like it made us closer as a couple I don't know if that'll do it for you but it does it takes two to tango right it takes two to make a pregnancy there's a whole there was this great twitter thread um a while ago by this woman who I can't remember her I think it's design mommy was her handle she's a mormon woman um with many children she's like I think six children and she had a whole twitter thread that um, irresponsible ejaculation causes unwanted pregnancy. I saw this. Yes. It's the best. I have it still linked, I think in my Instagram. Um, but you know, she's like, she's very pro having children. And she was also like very pro, like, you know, pro choice or pro, like all, you know, different ways of handling this, but basically being like when a, a woman or a person with like a uterus, Jack or not Jack, well, you can ejaculate, but orgasms that doesn't result in a pregnancy. Like, so if you're just having orgasms over here, you're not creating pregnancies. When the male half of the equation <laughs> is having an orgasm, they are causing pregnancies. So the whole conversation around like, why don't we have new forms of male birth control? It's a really good conversation. That but should be our next is, podcast topic. We should totally have a whole other one on that. It's, it's ridiculous because again, if you have semen, if you are a person with a penis and semen, you are constantly fertile. You are fertile every damn day from puberty until death. Yeah. Vast majority of the time, some caveats in there, but generally speaking, physiologically, you can make babies in your eighties. You know, who can't make babies in their eighties, people with a uterus. I mean, maybe one day in the future, I don't know if you'd want to in your eighties, but again, it's the ejaculate. So having that conversation with your partner, because you're going to both have to understand what's happening in your cycle in order to decide what kind of sex you're having, um, is really important. And I would also like, in, don't, if you really want to do this and your partner's like, Oh no, I don't think we should do that. Keep digging, keep pushing. Um, but also understand that they are more in the dark than you are potentially. So have a conversation. Um, that's a great point. Cause like sometimes yeah. the pushback, it's not necessarily, pushback it's coming from like not understanding so that you know bringing them with you to a class or understanding can bridge a gap and bring you closer potentially yeah and they're afraid too right they've been told their whole lives like you don't get her pregnant like gotta like do this or that and then there's of course there's all kinds of irresponsible people out there who are like I don't like the feel of a condom and will take no responsibility for my part in this but generally speaking and I hope in your relationship that um your partner is not like that and that he's on board with, you're both on board on the same page around what you want to do with pregnancy. Um, that being said, when it comes to conception, I would say it's, it's pretty similar. If you come off the pill, right, and you're trying to get pregnant, you might have a weird cycle. It is actually fairly common for people not to conceive right away coming off the pill or to potentially like have miscarriages right after. It really depends. Everyone's physiology is different. So you might like get pregnant right away off the pill, have a healthy pregnancy, um, have a healthy baby. Absolutely a possibility. But it is also a possibility that it will take some time for your body to get back to normal, to be ovulating normally and efficiently. And you might want to take, I usually recommend people take at least a year in between the pill, like coming off any kind of hormonal birth control and trying to get pregnant to really focus in on your health, to understand if you're ovulating, what that looks like. 
Um, so you just set yourself up for success because the healthier you are going into the pregnancy, the healthier the pregnancy will be. And miscarriages are very devastating. So and not to say that that's like the only cause, not to blame anyone, but just to say like, set yourself up for success as much as you can. Um, having an instructor as well for getting pregnant can be really useful. It's a different kind of end goal. Um, but same thing, like if you're having confusing charts, especially if you have like any kind of health concerns, like if you had irregular cycles before, or again, you're coming off the pill and you just want some support, having an instructor to help walk you through how to use the method to get pregnant can be really useful as well. Um, understanding when you're ovulating is really important for when you're getting pregnant. So if there's definitely people who have been trying to get pregnant for a long time, aren't having success, but actually aren't having sex at the right time in your cycle. So I would at least like, I always, again, recommend working with an instructor. You're going to get like the highest quality of care, but at least like read a book. So there's lots of books in, in all cases, right? So taking charge of your fertility by Tony Weschler is a great place to start. Um, just to get like an overview of how your body works, how these methods work. She discusses, discusses a symptothermal method as well. Um, Justice, the Justice user's guide, you can get that on Amazon and just again, get like an overview of the Justice method, how to use it, how to implement it, why you're doing it. Those are good places. Um, there's another book, The Fifth Vital Sign by Lisa Hendricks. I've Jack. read that one. Yeah. yeah. So she's also a Justice graduate and a holistic reproduce, reproductive health practitioner. So she has her book. And then she also created, um, it's on my desk over here, a charting that's based on the Justice method. So I would recommend her work as well. Um, yeah. There's, and then there's, you know, like exploring what's out there. I love that. Okay. This is all such good information. And I'm going to link all your information too, like in our show notes, because I know people may have more questions and you're definitely the expert there. So I want to provide that. This is my last question before we will sign off and we'll let you tell everybody how they can find you, but it's a big one. And it's interesting, like, especially with, you know, misconceptions about how you can get pregnant, all these different things. How do you think the stigma around I usually just ask about the period stigma, but I want to broaden it. How do you think the stigma around periods and fertility has impacted our world? That is like a huge, huge. question. <laughs> and I don't give anyone um, any heads up that it's coming. Boom. <laughs> now, now give us a thesis and a 10 page <laughs> essay real quick. Um, no, so I, I think it's, 100% impacted us and largely in negative ways because it keeps it keeps everyone not just people who menstruate not just women not just people with a uterus ovaries vagina also the other people right the people who don't have those parts who have semen or penises or what have you all these different configurations it keeps us in the dark about our bodies which keeps us in the dark about a large part of our human experience and a large part about our social, like all these things, right? So I think it's incredibly damaging that we don't have this information. I think there's lots of things you can do to remedy it, but it's hard to find. So I think in your case, in my case, I didn't learn any of this until I was in like my mid twenties and I'd been menstruating for over a decade. So like yep. that and having sex for like, you know, a large part of that as well. So this would have been useful for me to learn at a younger age. Um, and I have lots of clients who are in like their thirties, forties, who haven't, who don't know how their bodies work either. And it's, I'm not blaming anyone because it's just hard to find, but you can find this information. So, you know, these ideas about your body being gross one, like there's something being wrong with you inherently. If you menstruate classic, classic, um, you know, misogyny right there, yep. there's nothing wrong with you. Menstruation is a healthy bodily sign. Anyone who tells you that losing your period is good for you doesn't know what they're talking about. And there are lots of doctors who are very intelligent and very well-educated who'll say, you don't need your period. And that is bullshit. Like, it's just, sorry, I swear. But like, it's just oh, not like, Go true. for it. Okay. We just it's had dogs not, enter the room. Because I was just petting the dog. <laughs> it's like, yeah, my dogs, they're outside the door waiting to come in. Um, but it's, just, it's not true. You, your period is important, not because it's your period, but because your period is a byproduct of ovulation. Ovulation is critical for pregnancy achievement, obviously, but the hormonal interplay is critical for your development as a human being to have like the healthy experience, healthiest experience in your body possible. So those hormones you make are not just like the female hormones that make you like feminine. 
they are critical for your bone development, for your brain development, for your blood, for your mood. Like it's critical to your, for your sex physiology, drive. for, for all your these sex things. drive, for how you think, for how you engage with other people, for like how you feel in your body. These are really, really important. And they are not seen as important in a lot of cases. So it's, it's your body is natural and okay. And I guarantee the vast majority of the time you're like, is this okay? Like what's coming up? What's happening with my vagina? Is there something wrong with me? Your vagina is probably fine. You're fine. Your vulva looks great and fine. I guarantee you it's normal. Bleeding is normal unless you're bleeding at other parts that are not menstruation. It's a different conversation, but it's normal for things that come out of the vagina. It's normal for the vagina to be moist, to be wet. It's normal for there to be smells of vagina. It's a yep. normal part of being alive. Um, but all these ideas that we have about like having a menstrual cycle, right? Of it being like a burden, of it being an inconvenience, of it being the curse, of it making us like erratic and moody. These are not true things. It can be inconvenient, definitely, right? But there's a lot of things that make it inconvenient that have nothing to do with the fact of our physiology. It has to do with the world that's been constructed around that. So this idea of like, perhaps there are times of your cycle where you are just not super great at human, direct human engagement. You should be allowed to like adjust based on your body for that, right? Menstruation is usually not our most social activity time and that's okay and normal. Ovulation tends to be like the more social, social aspect of our, of our physiology. That's normal and should be normalized. So there, again, lots of caveats of how you want to live your life and what you think is important and how you prioritize yourself. But it's, again, we all know, I think at this point that the world is not set up to support people who menstruate in any real way. Um, and that is detrimental to everyone because we all interact with people who menstruate. We all interact with women. We all interact with all like, you know, all these things and it impacts everything. So cutting us off from our knowledge of our bodies creates fear, which then creates like all kinds of other negative things. Um, and there's a lot of control that can happen there as well, right? I think that these things are in place for a reason, even if we're no longer aware of what the original reason was. Um, so yeah, I think it's bad, <laughs> but I think there's lots that can be done. So not just to leave it there, right? There's education available. If you can't find access to someone like myself to talk to, though, please come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. Lots of books so many books, so many people on the internet, even though Instagram keeps trying to shut us down. Yes, There's like do. all the internet is full of people talking about this. And I would just say like, your doctor might not be the first person you want to talk to about um, fertility awareness. They might not be well-educated in it. I recommend always like talking to all your providers, you know, getting their opinions, weighing those opinions for yourself. Um, but unfortunately like your OBGYN might not be the most educated on these things um but it's a good time to like check in and like understand like what do I want how do I want to live how do I want to manage my fertility what's important to me like is pregnancy um important to me and if it's important to me when is it something is it something I want to do is this thing I don't want to do if I were to get pregnant what would I do um understanding all these things like it's not there's no black and white here there's no like easy answer, like one size fits all. It's incredibly personalized. And I think that's a good thing. It's a hard thing like to advertise perhaps, right? So the pill, hormonal birth control is kind of like seen as one size fits most. And even if your doctor's like, well, don't try this pill, try this other pill. They're all kind of the same ultimately. And they all react very similarly in your body. Just like everything else, like how you manage reproduction, how you manage your fertility, how you manage your contraception or conception is highly individualized, highly individualized. What's important for you might not be important for someone else. Um, and I think that's an important question to have. And then the last thing I'll say, and this is off topic, but when it comes to contraception, contraception should enhance your sex life. That's something I really believe in. The whole reason that you're having, you're using it is so you don't get pregnant so you can have like the sex that you wanna be having. So if your contraception method is not improving your sex life, if for example, it's removing your libido or it's causing you pain or it's making you moody or it's making you anxious too, right? Do something different. There's a lot of ways to manage this. You know, there's a lot of different methods to avoid pregnancy, to if you become pregnant, not to be pregnant. Um, if you get pregnant, like all these, all these different ways, many are highly stigmatized 
many of them require like a great deal of like self-prioritization and partner communication. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's a good reason for these methods to exist for hormonal reasons, for hormonal birth control to exist. Not all of us have the luxury of having partners who prioritize our own bodily autonomy or a culture or society that says you get to decide when and if you are pregnant. Um, so that's, that's real. But likewise, these pharmaceuticals are not designed for our greatest health in mind. They're designed from the perspective of like, you are in, you're, you're, you don't have control over your body. So you need a 24 seven method. And pregnancy is such a potential threat to you that it doesn't matter how much the, these pharmaceuticals impact and potentially harm your body. That doesn't matter because pregnancy is such a threat. And if in some cases that might be your reality and that might be exactly what you need. But I would also challenge that to say like ovulating and having a sex drive and being not depressed are really important for your quality of life and are also great threats to your health. So keep that in mind, um, just like, contraception should make sex better. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. And I think this podcast is going to be a really valuable tool and I'm so excited. I'm going to link your Instagram, your website, um, all these things. We're going to link in our show notes so that you can find B and be able to talk to her and learn more from her because one podcast is not enough. This is such a big topic. <laughs> I also really recommend working with, working with someone because it's a lot to learn and you know, I think it's an investment in yourself and I think it's a really beautiful way to get to know yourself better, but thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much valuable information and I appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. It was great to talk about these topics. I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate the work that you're doing out here, like helping people take better care of themselves. Oh, so good. <laughs>